Love what you hear? Be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, and even our D&D adventure. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast, where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And we continue on with our Spooktober series with one of the games that really highlights the idea of horror, psychological horror specifically, making its way to consoles. And what Konami was able to do in Silent Hill 2 was simply amazing, and it's created characters that live on today. That, like, when you say things like Pyramid Head are going to be something that sticks in your mind, you know exactly what we're talking about, and just creating that horror where you just feel stranded. You feel that you're weak. You, you feel scared, and that's really what horror tries to do for you. You feel the isolation for sure in this game, and they do mm-hmm. such a good job with, like, the angles and sort of that shock scariness because you've got that flashlight that just highlights parts of the room and so all of a sudden you turn the corner and oh i see something there and it just gives you that little jump on top of the isolation definitely a scary game g4 is in the conversation as of this recording i remember seeing videos of silent hill 2 on g4 being scared out Mm -hmm. of my mind in the middle of the night at my friend's house nowhere to go couldn't sleep worst slumber party of all time (laughs) yeah not not the best to start that out with Um, but let's get to it and talk about silent hill 2 which is a 2001 survival horror game developed by team silent a group in konami computer entertainment tokyo and published by konami the game was released from september to november originally for the ps2 the second installment in the silent hill series silent hill 2 centers on james sunderland a widower who journeys to the town of Silent Hill after receiving a letter from his dead wife, informing him that she is waiting for him there. An extended version containing an extra bonus scenario, Born from a Wish, and other additions was published for Xbox in December of the same year. In 2002, it was ported to Microsoft Windows and re-released on PlayStation 2 as a Greatest Hits version, which includes all bonus content from the Xbox port. A remastered high-definition version was released for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 in 2012 as part of the Silent Hill HD collection. Work on Silent Hill 2 began in June 1999, soon after Silent Hill had been completed. Its narrative was inspired by the Russian novel Crime and Punishment from 1866 by Fyodor Dostoevsky, and some of the influences on the game's artistic style include the work of film directors David Cronenberg, David Fincher, David Lynch, and Alfred Hitchcock. Cultural references to history, films, and literature can be found in the game. In contrast with the previous title, 
whose narrative concerned cult activity, Silent Hill 2 focuses directly on the psychology of its characters. Silent Hill 2 received critical acclaim. Within the month of its release in North America, Japan, and Europe, over 1 million copies were sold, with the greatest number of sales in North America. During release, it was widely praised for its story, use of metaphors, symbolism, psychological horror, and taboo topics, soundtrack, atmosphere, graphics, monster designs, and overall sound design. However, it received criticism for its controls, despite their improvement over the previous game. It is often considered to be one of the greatest horror games ever made, and among the greatest video games of all time, as well as a key example of video games as an art form. And the game, of course, was followed up by Silent Hill 3 in 2003. So, of course, as always, let's move over to the studio. The company was founded on March 21st, 1969. It was officially incorporated under the name Konami Industry Company Limited on March 19th, 1973. The company's founder and chairman, Kagamasa Kozuki, also known as Kaz Kazuki, ran a jukebox rental and repair business in Toyonaka, Osaka, before transforming the business into a manufacturer of amusement machines for video arcades. Their first coin-operated video game was released in 1978, and they began exporting products to the United States the following year. Konami began to achieve success with arcade games in the early 1980s, starting with Scramble in 81, followed by hits such as Frogger, Super Cobra, Time Pilot, Rock and Rope, Track and Field, and Yi R Kung Fu. Many of their early games were licensed to other companies for U.S. release, including Stern Electronics, Sega, and Gremlin Industries. They established their U.S. subsidiary, Konami of America Incorporated, in 1982. And it was during this period that Konami began expanding their video game business into the home consumer market following a brief stint releasing video games for the Atari 2600 in 1982 for the U.S. market. The company released numerous games for the MSX Home Computer Standard in 1983, followed by the Nintendo Entertainment System in 85. Numerous Konami franchises were established during this period on both platforms, as well as the arcades, such as Gradius, Castlevania, Twin B, Ganbare Goman, Contra, and Metal Gear, in addition to success with hit license games such as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Due to the success of their arcade and NES games, Konami's earnings grew from $10 million in 1987 to $300 million in 1991. Their first TMNT arcade game in 1989 was Konami's highest-grossing arcade game. In June 1991, Konami's legal name was changed to Konami Co. Limited, and their headquarters were relocated to Minato, Tokyo in April of 93. The company started supporting the 16-bit video game consoles during this period, starting with the SNES in 1990, followed by the PC Engine in 91, and the Sega Genesis in 92. After the launch of the Sega Saturn and PlayStation in 1994, Konami became a business divisional organization with the formation of various Konami Computer Entertainment, or KCE, subsidiaries, starting with KCE Tokyo and KCE Osaka, later known as KCE Studios in April of 95, followed by KCE Japan, later known as Kojima Productions, in April of 96. Each of these subsidiaries create different intellectual properties 
such as KCE Tokyo's Silent Hill series and KCE Japan's Metal Gear Solid series and its revival of Metal Gear from the MSX. In 97, and this is probably the most important thing you could know, Konami started producing rhythm games for arcades under the Bemani brand and branched off into the collectible card game business with the launch of the Yu-Gi-Oh! trading card game. Oh, man, Yu-Gi-Oh! So kind of this... Rest in peace, Kazuki right Takahashi. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see... I'm always interested in companies like this that start off producing some random thing, like pinball, move these arcade machines, and then, hey, we're making 300 million this year now. Hey, we've also made these different divisions that make these insanely popular series that are household names. It's no big deal. We're just kind of, you know, pedaling on through over a couple years. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that four-year period where they jumped up to the 300 million is just insane to me. And mm-hmm. all of those games are really iconic i think in that realm like contra you know metal gear yeah and all of them are similar in a way but feature different things like talking about metal gear with castlevania and contra all side scrolly bits to it but how they've also evolved past their original predecessors into a lot of the games that we have today good and bad i will say definitely there but how they've transitioned and built those stories around it and kind of kept a little bit of that silliness to some of their games um like metal gear but also just the serious notes that we get in like the silent hill series in the contra series which are also a little over the top but then you go to castlevania it's cool to see their bread and butter continue to grow i think we talked a lot about that era of like the mid to late 2000s where games just had all these browns and stuff i really feel Mm -hmm. like konami (laughs) instituted that in a lot of their early titles for the most part, yes. when I think about Metal Gear and Contra and, and games like that, Castlevania, yep. The Darkness, Silent Hill, obviously. Um, I think that mm-hmm. these games definitely influenced a lot of later titles. And so let's talk about the development of Silent Hill 2, which began in June of 1999, directly after the completion of its predecessor. The game was created by Team Silent, a production group within Konami Computer Entertainment Tokyo. The story was conceived by CGI director Takeyoshi Sato, who based it on Russian author Fyodor Dostoevsky's novel Crime and Punishment in 1866, with individual members of the team collaborating on the actual scenario. The main writing was done by Hiroyuki, Iwaku, and Sato, who provided the dialogue for the female characters. Around the time Silent Hill 2 was in production, the average budget for video game production had been estimated to be around 7 to 10 US million dollars by Sato. The decision to produce a sequel to Silent Hill was partly a financial one, as it had been commercially successful, and partly a creative one, as the team had faced difficulties while working on the original game. The team was given a small window to settle on a platform as it was unable to gather information on the then-unannounced GameCube and Xbox consoles. They began production of the game for the PlayStation 2. Producer Akihiro Imamura stated that the decision was also influenced by a wish from the business section that they move rapidly on the PS2. Quote, you know, it is currently the market focus. Imamura read all comments about the original game and kept them in mind while working on Silent Hill 2. He estimated that a total of 50 people worked on the game. While the creative team from the first game remained, 
they had to bring in 30 people from Konami Computer Entertainment Tokyo. Developed at the same time, the PS2 version of Silent Hill 2 and its Xbox port debuted at the March 2001 Tokyo Game Show to positive reactions. Silent Hill 2 shared the same atmosphere of psychological horror as the first Silent Hill game. As the developers already had a rough sense of the game's environment, they focused on its plot first, in contrast to the process used with the first game. The PS2 hardware allowed the developers to create improved fog and shadow special effects. For example, as a monster approaches the player character, its shadow cast on the wall by the flashlight grows. When dealing with the game's camera angles, the team struggled with a balance between those that stayed true to the creative vision and those that did not hamper gameplay. Psychological elements such as the gradual disappearance of Mary's letter and symbolic holes were incorporated into the game. The team wanted Silent Hill 2's protagonist to, quote, reflect the evil, against which the protagonist of the first game battles. For the game's artistic style, the team drew on a variety of influences. The work of film directors David Cronenberg, David Fincher, David Lynch, and Alfred Hitchcock, along with films similar to the 1990s psychological thriller horror film Jacob's Ladder, and painters such as Francis Bacon, Rembrandt, and Andrew Wythe. Early in the project, they studied the 1996 video game Tomb Raider's creation of 3D environments. Other influences on the game include the 1992 survival horror video game Alone in the Dark, the first Silent Hill game, and Japanese comics by Dajiro Morahoshi and Junji Ito. While working on the character designs, Sato and his team sketched human faces and various expressions. To gain a better sense of the characters' facial structures, they drew the characters' profiles from various angles. Before creating wireframe models, each consisting of 6,000 polygons. They then completed the models with textures. Data for the character animation was taken through motion capture and using soft image, and they animated the characters, basically allowing to use both of those together, because you, even at this time, stop-mo or even mocap were used for a lot of this to get the idea of the character. You still had to go in and animate a lot of it, otherwise you get that clunky data model without it. Masahiro Ito designed the monsters in Silent Hill 2 with soured flesh as their concept behind their appearance. The monsters were also to incorporate a, quote, element of humanity. And for the most part, the monsters reflect the protagonist's subconscious. For example, the monster Pyramid Head was based on the executions of the town's fictional history and is intended to be a punisher for James. Two exceptions to this theme are the Abstract Daddy, uh, a reflection of Angela's subconscious and memories and dealing with a lot of the issues with her dad and sexual abuse, and the Creepers, which are also seen in the first game. Silent Hill 2 also incorporates some references to real-life events. In the original scenario, the developers designed Maria and James with dual personalities. Maria's other personality was Mary, a reference to Mary Jane Kelly, Jack the Ripper's last victim, while James was Joseph, a reference to one of the Jack the Ripper's suspects. Eddie Dombrowski's name was taken from actor Eddie Murphy during the beginning phases of production when Eddie was originally designed with a pleasantly optimistic personality. The name of Angela Orozco was derived from Angela Bennett, the name of the protagonist in the 1995 film The Net, and Laura's was from the 1970 novel 
No Language But a Cry by Richard D'Ambrosio. The developers satirized the perceived accessibility of firearms in the U.S. by allowing James to find a handgun in a shopping cart. There are also indications that the layout of Silent Hill was based on a certain, to a certain extent, I would say, on the town of San Bruno, California. So I would say a lot to unpack there in development and kind of the interesting takes that Silent Hill has brought on with their characters. And then also the idea of, in the first one, it's cultists, as we had said. And then this one's like, hey, what if we just kind of brought your worst fears and experiences and just punished you with those? How about that? How does that sound to you? And it's, it's a really cool take on that idea of how very much like that Bogart thing that's in Harry Potter, which takes on your scariest fear and you got to wave your magic wand, it's gone. Yeah. This, not so easily. Uh, but it's, it's an interesting take on how do you build psychological horror and basically terrorize yourself with it. Well, and it's interesting that they tied it to all these real-life people with these characters just because those were probably very horrible moments for those people that actually existed. And, you know, to have that mentality to think like, oh, well, you know, this, this person, this victim went through something awful with Jack the Ripper. And who was Jack mm-hmm. the Ripper? And what what kind of motivations did he have to just even have that in, I think, the thought process really goes to show that they wanted an emotionally connected story as best they could. Yeah. So I, I think that that's all really interesting. Yeah, the take on that's it's cool. And I love games that can take a personification of fears or regrets or anything that's troubling you and not directly apply it like i'm scared of clowns here comes a clown it's like how do you actually torture yourself with that more deeply more emotionally and not just taking a physical figure you're scared of but what are these emotions that you're dealing with and how does that manifest right um and it's it reminds me a lot of just like dante's inferno in that way of just like how does this manifestation of sin or gluttony or how how does that come about that's how i feel with these monsters and in my opinion japan's always done monsters really well uh, whether it's through mythos or lore or actually in movies or games, it's such a cool take on that. Yeah, there's definitely a very real feeling, a uh, very palpable thing with just how they view uh, monsters and, and characters like that. Mm-hmm. There's a very real fear of those things that I think everybody can relate to around the world. Where I'm not so sure that we have a lot of those same things in um, America. Like, I'm not yeah, scared of Bigfoot. Sure. And I, I think for ours, it's much more based in, I'm not even saying a reality, but you see it. It's a big furry monster. Right. And then in Japanese folklore, it might even be more spirits or the take on an idea of that and getting more into that mythology of it. And then taking those monsters, just be like, you didn't do this certain thing. So this monster might come after you, or you did do this certain thing. So this like type of creature spawns. It's interesting to see how that has developed in different regions, different countries, and, and what you have is like the boogeyman, wherever you are. So let's move over to the marketing. In September 2009, Konami unveiled a production blog hosted by Silent Hill, Shattered Memories producer Tom Hullett, which gave fans an insight into the game-making process, their influences, and a chance to leave comments for the game staff. Though shortly after the game's U.S. release, the blog's updates stalled. 
On December 2nd, 2009, the official U.S. Silent Hill Shattered Memories micro-website went live, and the website contains a quick psych test for visitors to take. Depending on your answers, the look of Sybil and other characters will change on the site. For example, one, not answering, skipping the therapy, or picking all three, would result in a nice and professional-looking Sybil. Another example is liking horror movies and identifying with the color red would create a sexy Sybil. And then chasing down a robber would be the hard-ass Sybil. Once the test is complete, the mouse cursor becomes a flashlight beam in the town. Rolling over certain objects activates different sections of the site, including a couple short gameplay videos, game screenshots, a link to Konami's official Silent Hill forum, character information, and the official blog. If you leave the flashlight on too long, a crowd of raw shocks will surround you and a video of another overworld chase scene will play. This can be avoided if you quickly turn off the flashlight. So some cool little interactive marketing. Yeah, so marketing for like the original was just more of like your local posters, especially like Japanese uh, game shops, and some placements in like US and EU markets. And then whenever you had Silent Hill Shattered Memories coming out, um, which is a later title date, they actually had this really cool website that broke into the production and ideas of Silent Hill 2, Silent Hill 1, and kind of as that remake was happening. So it's, you can still get on like way back and go through here and see some of this stuff, which is really cool to see and see like just how things were created. And then obviously as you're getting more Silent Hill games, adding into like Shattered Memories and various other titles that were coming up to 09. Now, most of you, well, I guess I'm generalizing. If you don't know, gameplay is like this. The objective of Silent Hill 2 is to guide your player character, James Sutherland, through the monster-filled town of Silent Hill as he searches for his deceased wife. The game features a third-person view with various camera angles. And at this point, you're kind of comparing a lot of this to Resident Evil kind of over the top, going through as cameras change with it. Absolutely. The default control for Silent Hill 2 has James moving in the direction that he's facing when the player tilts the analog stick upwards. Silent Hill 2 does not use a heads-up display or a HUD. To check James' health, location, and items, the player must enter the pause game menu to review his status. Throughout the game, James collects maps, which can only be read if there is sufficient light or when his flashlight is on. He also updates relevant maps to reflect locked doors, clues, and obstructions, and writes down the content of all documents for further reference. Much of the gameplay consists of navigating the town and finding keys or other items to bypass doors or other obstructions, with less focus on killing enemies. Occasionally, puzzles will be presented, often with riddles left for the player to interpret. The difficulty levels of the enemies and the puzzles are determined independently by the player before starting the game. James keeps his radio with him, which alerts him to the presence of creatures by emitting static, allowing him to detect them even through the thick fog. He also tilts his head in the direction of a nearby item or monster. For combat, he finds three melee weapons and three firearms over the course of the game, with another two melee weapons unlocked during replays. Health restoratives and ammunition can be found throughout the game. Yeah, I think Resident Evil is such a, a great comparison that you made. Just really thinking about that top down, like kind of dark, but not quite as easy to defend yourself in this game. 
And so on that note, the setting, while not focusing on the characters and plot threads of the first Silent Hill game, Silent Hill 2 actually takes place in the series' namesake town, located in Maine. Silent Hill 2 is set in another area of the town and explores some of Silent Hill's backstory. The town draws upon the psyche of its visitors and ultimately forms alternative versions of itself, which differ depending on the character. The concept behind the town was a small rural town in America. To make the setting more realistic, some buildings and rooms lack furnishings. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, Letter from Silent Heaven. Uh, This is basically just the plot. James Sunderland comes to Silent Hill after apparently receiving a letter from his wife Mary, who died of an illness three years before. While exploring the town, he encounters Angela Orozco, a teenage runaway searching for her mother, Eddie Dombrowski, another teenage runaway, and Laura, a bratty eight-year-old who befriended Mary and accuses James of not truly loving her. While searching a local park, James also meets Maria, a woman who strongly resembles Mary, but has a much more assertive personality. Maria claims that she has never met or seen Mary, and because she is frightened by the monsters, James allows her to follow him. Arriving at a bowling alley, Eddie and Laura are found inside, but Laura runs off. Following Laura to a hospital and searching for her there at Maria's insistence, James and Maria are ambushed by the monster Pyramid Head, and Maria is killed while James escapes. Afterwards, James resolves to search the hotel that he and Mary stayed at during their vacation. On the way, he finds Maria alive and unharmed in a locked room. She claims ignorance of their previous encounter and begins discussing elements of James and Mary's past that only Mary would know. James sets off to find a way to free Maria, but returns to find her dead again. Later on, he rescues Angela from a monster, after which she reveals that her father sexually abused her, with a newspaper clipping implying that she killed him before coming to Silent Hill. James also confronts Eddie, who admits to maiming a bully and killing a dog before fleeing to Silent Hill. When Eddie attacks him, James is forced to kill him in self-defense. At the hotel, James locates a videotape which depicts him euthanizing his dying wife by smothering her with a pillow. In another room, a final meeting with Angela sees her giving up on life, unable to cope with her trauma. She then walks into a fire and is never seen again. Afterwards, James encounters two pyramid heads, along with Maria, who is killed another time. 
he comes to realize that Pyramid Head was created because he needed someone to punish him. And all the monsters are manifestations of his psyche. The envelope from Mary disappears, and both Pyramid Heads commit suicide. James heads to the hotel's rooftop, and depending on choices made by the player throughout the game, he encounters either Mary or Maria disguised as her. Silent Hill 2 features six endings. Konami has kept their canon or their canicity ambiguous. So not to say like which one's the true ending. They're just kind of all like, well, maybe. In Leave, James has one last meeting with Mary, reads her letter, and leaves the town with Laura. In Water, sees James commit suicide by driving his car into Lake Tulka with Mary's body in the car. The Maria ending sees Mary as the woman on the rooftop who has not forgiven James for killing her. And after her defeat, James dismisses her as a hallucination and then leaves the town with an alive Maria who briefly coughs, suggestions she will become sick just as Mary did and the cycle will repeat. The other three endings are only available in replay games, including Rebirth, in which James plans to resurrect Mary using arcane objects collected throughout the game, and two joke endings, Dog, where James discovers that a dog has been controlling all the events of the game, and UFO, where James is abducted by extraterrestrials with the help of the first game's protagonist, Harry Mason. Man, imagine getting one of those two endings, being like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) I went through this whole scary game, I'm depressed, I'm nervous, I'm a wreck. It's aliens? It was a dog? I don't think I could have a dog after that. It was a dog the whole time. It's like that uh, Cats vs. Dogs movie. I would be like, this is real. You're smarter than you seem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. So on top of that, there was also Born from a Wish, which is a side story scenario in the special editions and re-releases of the game in which the player takes control of Maria shortly before she and James meet at Silent Hill. After waking up in the town with a gun and contemplating suicide, she decides to try to find someone. She eventually encounters a local mansion, where she hears the voice of its owner, Ernest Baldwin. Ernest refuses to let Maria into the room he is in, and will only talk to her through its closed door. After Maria completes tasks for him, Ernest warns her about James, whom he describes as a bad man. After Maria opens the door to Ernest's room and finds it empty, she leaves the mansion. At the conclusion of the scenario, Maria contemplates suicide once more, but ultimately resolves to find James. The side story concludes with a voiceover of James encountering Maria in the park and her introducing herself to him as it happens during the events of the main story. This type of side DLC bonus content is so much fun where it's just like an addition for a re-release for like these remasters for it. And I love that depending on how you go into it, you may not know it's kind of a prequel with it. You know, as you're going along, like, Hey, there's going to be this guy who comes along, bad man, you got to know this and kind of doing that stuff and getting into her head about this um, is such a cool way to start that off, which is really fun. Right. To see the other perspective of the story. Cause for you, it's just the, Mm -hmm. it's the intro. Uh, of the the main game but yeah to see it from that other side like hey this is this other person that you're interacting with that matters i think that's neat yeah and it and it starts you off on someone who you get to know really well throughout the game it's it's such a good way to do it and silent hill in and of itself especially i mean we're talking about silent hill 2 
kind of having the this town where it's kind of ambiguous of what's going on with it. Is this kind of like a town that brings the worst of you out? Is this a town that kind of is like a final resting place for what you need? Is it there seeking this post afterlife idea of it? It's such an interesting way to do these type of games. And this is really what psychological horror is so much fun and why it's so much fun. And taking these like faux pas or these things that you may not talk about or the idea of like, yeah, I might've killed someone. We're just going to meet up here. And is that all of them coming together to commiserate? You know, do you want to put that behind it? Or is this kind of like an own personal hell to those who have committed atrocities? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really interesting way of looking at it. Silent Hill, the town and its its concept really kind of reminds me of like the town from It, Derry, Maine. And, you know, mm-hmm. they're both set in Maine. But, you know, the story in It is that once you leave the town, you kind of forget about all these things that happen to you there. And, and It is yeah. really this creature that manifests itself to try and scare you in all these different ways. And so I, I see a lot of similarities between this concept and that uh, book and film series and TV series and all the other things that it is where it's it's really about like digging deep like you said and and thinking about your fears and anxieties or in in this case bad things that may have happened to you or you might have done and if they were justified and how to heal mm-hmm. and move on from those things so i i agree 100% i think it is a really interesting um and important element to the psychological horror genre yeah and and that idea has I mean, spawned I would say in the last, what, five, seven years, just how much psychological horror has come out and taken notes from the Silent Hill series and the Resident Evil series um, and Amnesia and Outlast and even like Five Nights at Freddy's ideas with that of kind of like dealing, even though that first game was just such a simplicity, but dealing with horror in and of itself. I think these are staples and drawing on these huge, huge uh, directors and movies they've created to advance that into a true art piece um, is saying a lot. I mean, there's even shows that have come out that have taken the idea of this, of kind of not being able to forgive yourself, of always being haunted by that past. How do you deal with that? How do you come to terms with it? And Silent Hill 2 especially, I think, has done that well. The future Silent Hill games are more on the action side and i think this is much more on that story side of it absolutely and i think even in the more simplistic games like like you said like another example would be like slender man you're mm-hmm. going around and you're just you just have a flashlight and basically that's it you're isolated you're alone it's not so much about sins of the past or anything like that but this game works on multiple levels Obviously, that's why it was as successful as it was. Not only were you getting that feeling of isolation, but also that impending doom and and guilt as well. But Absolutely. Let's move on and talk about the music and sound, which is always important in any horror genre. Akira Yamaoka composed the music for Silent Hill 2. At his home, Yamaoka took three days to write the music for Theme of Laura. Silent Hill 2's main theme by combining a sad melody and a strong beat. Although he does not consider the melody to be the most important element of a musical piece, he wanted the music to evoke emotions in the player. 
Silent Hill 2 makes extensive use of sound effects ranging from screams to footsteps on broken glass. In charge of the game's 50 sound effects, Yamaoka wanted to surprise the player with different sounds and create an unsettling environment. He also incorporated occasional silence, commentating that selecting moments of silence is another way of producing sound. So very true. Mm -hmm. Konami published Silent Hill 2 original soundtracks in Japan on October 3rd, 2001. Eight tracks, which were Theme of Laura, Null Moon, Love Psalm, True, Promise, Hermata, and Mystic Air, Laura Plays the Piano, and Overdose Delusion appeared in the 2006 PlayStation Portable release, The Silent Hill Experience. At the 2006 Play, a video game symphony concert in Chicago, Illinois, Yamaoka performed music from the series, including Theme of Laura, with a full-sized orchestra. In 2019, the soundtrack was re-released on vinyl by Mondo, who previously gave the same treatment to the soundtrack of Silent Hill in 2016. Again, uh, we say it every time, some of these games just come with the total package and come with these sound directors and sound designers that can just put so much together that becomes a staple. Um, and you know my love, my love of music vinyl and video game music vinyl specifically. It's so cool to see these companies, you know, ma- remaster these things for vinyl and come out with just such a cool rendition or a cool re-release of this that you actually get to enjoy again in the past with a record player, but in the future. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. You've just described a uh, vinyl collection, vinyl collecting <laughs> in 2022. Yep. That's pretty much it. And so Silent Hill was first released for the PlayStation 2 in North America on September 24th, 2001, in Japan on September 27th, and in Europe on November 23rd. The original European edition also included a second disc, a making-of DVD video featuring trailers, an artwork gallery, and a documentary of the game's development. An extended version of the game was published for Xbox in North America on December 20th, 2001, Japan on February 22nd, 2002, in Europe on October 14th, 2002. Each region had different subtitles for the game. Saigo no Uta, poem for the last moment, in Japan, Restless Dreams in North America, and Inner Fears in Europe. This edition contained the short bonus scenario Born from a Wish and other minor enhancements. This revised version was ported back to the PlayStation 2 and subtitled Director's Cut in Europe, but was not subtitled in North America and was simply released under the Greatest Hits banner. Creature Labs ported this edition to Windows, which Konami released in December 2002. Added features in the PC version include the ability to quicksave and watch trailers for Silent Hill 3. In 2006, Konami re-released Silent Hill 2 with its indirect PS2 sequels, Silent Hill 3 and Silent Hill 4 The Room, in a bundle entitled The Silent Hill Collection in Europe and Japan, Silent Hill HD Collection, a compilation of remastered high definitions of Silent Hill 2 and 3, was released for the PS3 and the Xbox 360 on March 20th, 2012. It contains new voice actors for the characters of both games, along with the option in Silent Hill 2 to listen to the original ones. So kind of that cool if you want the OG audio or you want the kind of remastered audio. Yeah, I think that's pretty great. And with the, just with the remastering, I feel like you do get sort of a different experience in in a game like Mm -hmm. this where you are 
totally isolated and alone. There's so yeah. much just nothing happening in front of you. No, like, you know, like grunts or, you know, any kind of like swinging things into things that make noises and things like that. I, I think that that's cool. Silent Hill 2 sold over 1 million copies in the month of its release in North America, Japan, and Europe, with the most units sold in North America. Metacritic shows generally favorable reviews, with an average rating of 89 out of 100 for the PS2 version and 84 out of 100 for the Xbox version. However, the PC port received mixed or average reviews, with a Metascore of 70 out of 100. Silent Hill 2 received praise from video game journalists at the time of its release and in retrospect. Andy Greenwald of Spin Magazine praised it as a frightening but restrained game. John Thompson of All Games stated Silent Hill 2 feels a bit rushed, and although it might not live up to the dizzying horror of the first game, it packs enough of its own punch to make it a worthy sequel. IGN's Doug Perry wrote, It's frightening, deep, clever, and tries to improve the genre, if just a little. And in the end, that's all I really want in a survival horror game. John Fielder of GameSpot concluded, Silent Hill 2 is a much prettier, somewhat smarter, but less a compelling game than the original. In Replay, the History of Video Games from 2010, Tristan Donovan described Silent Hill 2 as the high point of the series. In a retrospective article on the survival horror genre, IGN writer Jim Sterling praised the game's plot as one of the finest examples of narrative construction in gaming to this day. In another retrospective article on survival horror, fellow IGN writer Travis Foz created the game as a factor in the short-lived period of renewed interest in horror games. Online game critic for The Escapist, Ben Yahtzee Croshaw, lists the game as among his top five favorite games of all time, praising it for its thick and unsettled atmosphere creating tension and fear for players. In his review of the game, he commented, Silent Hill 2 is the game I replay every now and again to remind myself that for all the shiny brown, quick-time event, RPG element space marines, gaming is still worth defending, and that it's a fascinating voyage of pain and despair that leaves you emotionally drained and satisfied. Now, whoa, I, I really like those shiny brown games, sir. Yahtzee? Listen, when you hit a Yahtzee, you gotta hit a Yahtzee. That's what he's saying. Yeah, and Silent Hill 2, hit a Yahtzee. <laughs> That's true. You gotta say what you gotta say. Gotta say it. The graphics and atmosphere of Silent Hill 2 were praised by reviewers, who highlighted the smooth transitions from CG to in-game cutscenes and the sense of claustrophobia caused by the fog. On the other hand, Thompson felt that the grainy image effects and dense fog hid the details of the environment, while Fielder wrote that the exterior environments rarely pushed the PlayStation 2's graphical capabilities. Character animation was considered realistic by reviewers, though James' animation in the CG sometimes appeared marionette-like, according to Perry. The voice acting garnered mixed responses from reviewers, divided over whether it was well done with an improved script or hampered by the script. Reviewers enjoyed the monster design, although some found the monsters less frightening due to the abundance of ammunition and being easily avoided. Reviewers found the camera, though improved, still difficult while battling monsters which hung from the ceiling. Concerns echoed by reviewers in the PC version. 
The soundtrack and sound effects were considered by reviewers to be effective in creating suspense, though Thompson considered them sometimes, quote, a bit forced and contrived. The puzzles were generally seen as not overly challenging by reviewers, though Thompson found them generally easy and GameSpy's David Hodgson wrote that they were sometimes illogical. Less well-received was the combat, criticized for its lack of challenge and easily defeating monsters and bosses. Jeff Lundigan reviewed the PlayStation 2 version of the game for Next Generation, rating it four stars out of five, and stated that, quote, it's not for the faint of heart, nor anyone looking for fast action, but those who enjoy a good shiver won't be disappointed. And I want to go back real quick to talking about the combat aspect of it, which is a factor in the game, and I think improves, Resident Evil was the same, improved over time. Uh, I think this is much more the game where the story elements and the horror elements of it are kind of, for me, the mainstay. And combat, again, if you want to turn up the difficulty, just turn up the difficulty then. If you're feeling that combat for you is too easy, crank it up and see how it goes from there. Just because you want, especially your first playthrough, to get that horror effect of it and be terrified, like you said, pointing that flashlight around in that fog in those different areas of what's happening. Yeah, I, I don't think that combat needs to be uh, the crux of every single video game. And, you know, it's definitely not one for Silent Hill 2. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely don't think that it was intended to be. Um, but it is such a part, a big part of video gaming as a whole that you rarely find a game that just doesn't have it at all. No, I think that's exactly it. And there's a little spoof on um, Mythic Quest, the show about mm-hmm. a game where it's a horror game where you can't defeat any of the monsters, just sort of pointing out. And, and over time, you know, seeing how the industry changes, how a game like that can't be made anymore because combat is such an integral part of video gaming. Yeah, and, and the feeling of achieving something or feeling of like, hey, I, have to, I can defeat that. Hey, we should defeat that. Um, even in Outlast, where you find a lot of these bosses where like you don't have direct combat. A lot of it's just trying to escape and like eventual defeating some of the bosses um, give you that satisfying feeling of at least being safe for the time being. And it lets that heart rate come down just a few beats before ramping it back up again. But there's still that moment. And we still see it in some horror where, like, you're not given weapons. You're not giving a defense. The only defense is to figure out what's going on, run, hide, jump. Um, Even in something like Alien Isolation, where you do have weaponry, uh, it's still better to hide at times than it is to try and fight anything. Right. So reactions to the Xbox port were also positive. Reviewers have written that the PS2 and Xbox versions were mostly similar, except for the Born from a Wish side scenario found in the Xbox version. Eurogamer's Kristen Reed called Born from a Wish more like a demo than anything, while Fielder described it as a commendable extra. Both felt that it could be completed in around an hour and did not add much to the game. The PC port, in contrast, received mixed reactions. Alan Roche of GameSpy considered the PC port overall to be, quote, a fantastic translation of Konami's stylish and scary survival horror game. IGN's Ivan Sulich advised against playing the game with the keyboard and rated the game great. Conversely, Ron Doolin, another reviewer for GameSpot, wrote, not even the game's foggy atmosphere is thick enough to hide Silent Hill 2's problems. Next Generation reviewed the Xbox version of the game, 
rating it four stars out of five, and stated that exactly the same disturbing yet wildly enjoyable game as it was on PS2, and noted the sub-game called Born From A Wish, saying, if you've already played this on PS2, there's no particular reason to pick it up again. On the other hand, if you haven't, and why haven't you, then this added bonus would make the Xbox version the one to buy. Silent Hill 2 is often considered to be one of the best video games of all time. It ranked first on X-Play's list of the scariest games of all time in 2006. In 2009, IGN listed it as one of the five best horror video games created after 2000, and one of the 12 greatest PS2 games of all time. It ranked again in IGN's list of the top 100 PS2 games, and again in 2018 on IGN's list of the 100 greatest video games ever made. In a retrospective by GamePro, it was the 26th best game for the PS2. In 2008, GamesRadar placed it on its list of the 15 best video game stories ever, describing it as a punishing tale not easily matched. In 2009, Wired News listed it as the 11th most influential game of the decade for its emphasis on psychological horror and exploration of taboo topics such as incest and domestic abuse rather than gore. In 2012, a top video games of all time list by G4 Television Network ranked the game in 85th place. The same year, the game's narrative was ranked first on GamesRadar's list of the best video game stories ever and Game Informer named Silent Hill 2 the best of the Silent Hill franchise and listed it as the second best horror game of all time in its October 2014 issue, and number 8 on Game Trailer's Top 10 2's list of the best second franchise games in 2015. So, very high praise there. Yeah, a lot of accolades added to this, uh, especially when it comes to the horror genre of it. Uh, You know, horror's such, in my opinion, Horror is such a hard thing to approach well. Anyone can do it. That's why we've always had like the B, C, and D style horror movies forever. You know, and you find like those VHSs from the 70s and 80s of like these like terrible horror movies that people try and do. It is a very approachable subject that people can get into. It's hard to do it really well. And when something does it really well, it sticks with you. And for all this praise and issues with you know, the PS2 at the time that it's working on. It's such an amazing way to take it as, you know, they had talked about, it's not dealing in gore per se. It's dealing in taboo topics and it's dealing in psychological horror, which at times can be those things that like, it's easier to just cut someone's head off and be like, ah, spooky. It's so much harder to get into the minds of people and bring those things that no one wants to think about or talk about. And how do you portray that? And having these manifestations as these, insane monsters and bosses uh, has done so so well so besides that or incorporating that Derek let the people know why did we choose this game and what do you think of it well man I mean that might be the most positively uh, reviewed lengthy general reception section that we've ever had on this podcast Mm -hmm. at least in my tenure I don't know that there's a lot that I can really add to all of those things to be honest with you I think that this game, uh, we've talked about it throughout the episode, just does that great job of continuing that narrative. I think that making it about all these different people and their struggles really helps you to connect to different people and not just the protagonist, 
which is something that's very rare in a lot of video games, I think. And so maybe, you know, if you're a person or knew a person that struggled with anything, even similar to those things, I mean, even being able to have that connection, or if you didn't, to be able to have better sympathy for the people that maybe do go through those very real things. So it's it's just a very real, visceral feeling for a horror game. I think that's very important. Now, uh, I've played this game a little bit, to be honest. Um, Derek, don't do scary too mm-hmm, good mm-hmm. as i've said in past episodes i like i could barely get through bioshock so when i played this when it came out i was mostly playing it at friends houses and stuff and i remember it being a lot of fun and when i like mostly just letting my friends play and not being alone um so it's kind of hard for me to give like a full rating on it but from what i remember like a 7 out of 10 for me feels really good because one of the things that frustrates me about just the older generation of games is those camera angles. I yeah. mean, they just kill me. It kind of works for Silent Hill 2 because turning corners really quick with just that flashlight, I think are really interesting ways to evoke scary scenes and things like that. But it's also just like you're, you know, you're walking down one way and suddenly you're reversing yourself and you didn't mean to. And those kind of things can make gameplay difficult. Now, I don't do scary, but I will thank Silent Hill 2 for, I assume, influencing my favorite scary game, Luigi's Mansion. Oh, of course. I mean, the the ties are are right there. Super spooky. It's like a Ghostbusters Silent Hill 2 fusion. Yeah, it's about that. It is about the psychological horror that goes inside Luigi's mind, and Luigi's mind is pretty dark. Well... (laughs) Yeah, there's not that. There's not that element, maybe as much. But the, the there's a flashlight. Listen, there is a flashlight. Now that rating's fine. It is a number. Um, but yeah, so, as I said earlier, like we chose Silent Hill one, thanks to our patrons, which we'll talk about in a bit. But two, it, it really fills in that codex of like what is a scary game, and like Derek controls are hard with Resident Evil and Silent Hill at that time kind of the tank controls above the head type stuff frustrating at times for sure and I think it's really you couldn't at the time fully get that effect you wanted in like an FPS getting that first person look um how do you translate that and I think Resident Evil has evolved over time to still get that over the shoulder but just get those camera controls and the scariness much better Silent Hill has tried that in future releases and it's done Okay, but two has definitely done it the best. So if I had to give it a rating, I would give it probably like employee of the month for Pyramid Head because if they worked at like a Papa John's or a Domino's, um, I, I wouldn't, I know that they would want to be on delivery duty. I, I just can't allow it uh, just because they're so good at pizza preparation, like getting those cuts even, cutting through the crust fully. Even on those random sides that we have, cutting those breadsticks evenly, it's, it's really what needs to happen um, when it stands for like better pizza, better ingredients, pizza head. It's usually what we say. Um, it's, it's an unfortunate nickname for him, but um, yeah, that's where we're out at of 10. Well, now I'm just hungry. <laughs> so Perfect. thank you for that. Oh, of course. 
Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall, Derek Baker. The intro and outro music for this episode was written and recorded by Evan Barr. And our lovely artwork was given to us by Aaron Shattuck. And as I had said, this episode was chosen by our patrons for our Spooktober Month episode. If you want to become a patron, you can check us out over at patreon.com slash finish the fight. Or we've got plenty of other physical and digital rewards. I want to thank some select members today with Sky the Bear, Duststorm, Mr. Choff, Snide T-Bird, that LL Gamer Guy, Nick Hyman, Mick Chief, Climbing Spork, Mr. Eighteen Ninety Eight, Irby Spicy, Lee Tom John, Keller Kane, and Brian Yost. So thank you all so much for your support. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're also on Discord. It's free to join. Alex and I are hanging out in there all the time, talking news, talking just general gaming stuff, talking horror games this month for a little spooktober. But we'd love to see you there. It's a lot of fun. And hopefully you can make it on by. As always, you can check us out on Twitch. You can see me over at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's twitch.tv slash sour man seven zero and Derek over at twitch.tv slash the Baker man 24 seven. That is twitch.tv slash the Baker man two four seven. You can find this podcast on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or, 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 or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't left us a review on that platform, it really helps us out a lot. And we love to hear from you. And that has been our coverage of Silent Hill 2. Now, do you agree that this is one of the scariest games of all time, if not one of the best psychological horrors of all time? Or are we looking at that kind of modern revival of horror that we've seen in like the last 10 years or so? Uh, let us know. Hit us up on the discords, on the Instagrams, and on the other various ones. Let's chat. And as always, I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Scared Derek. And this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. <laughs>